Hey everybody, welcome back for another episode of the podcast from P-Town. Hope everybody's having a good week out there. Um, hope everybody's enjoying this little, nice little heat wave we're having. It's uh, getting pretty warm out there. And uh, while everybody's sitting inside in front of the air conditioning complaining about how hot it is, uh, make sure you say a prayer for all the firefighters and first responders and stuff that are out battling these blazes that are going around. Here in Central Oregon, I think we've got three or four pretty good fires going on right now, so uh, that's getting kind of scary. Um, looking at the news, I don't have a whole lot I was going to cover. I did <clears throat> want to talk a second about that gal who was uh, in the Olympic trials or something and turned her back during the national anthem. Um, maybe she should go find a different country to play for because we definitely don't want her here disrespecting our national anthem. And I mean... I don't know why all of these people, sports people and everything, think that it's their job to make a point over every little thing when they get a moment on stage, but it's getting kind of ridiculous. Um, I don't know. I just kind of wish things would go back to normal a little bit and uh, we could get over all this. But it doesn't look like that's going to happen anytime soon, so we're just going to keep on keeping on. Tonight, we are going to talk about Elvis Presley. And uh, it's, this is definitely not going to be a real in-depth uh, look at him. There's so much that you could say about this guy. You could do a whole um, podcast on this guy and some of the stuff he did, but we'll just kind of go an overview of his life and his career and whatnot. So let's get her started. So he was born on January 8th of 1935. And like I said, he's probably one of the most iconic celebrities ever. Anybody who knows hadn't lived under a rock for the last 60 years knows who he is he was born in tupelo mississippi and he was born in what was called a shotgun house and these are houses they're about 12 foot wide and the rooms were stacked one right after the other just bam 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 really wasn't much to him and i guess these were pretty common in the south back in those days he had an identical twin brother that was born 35 minutes before he was but he was it ended up being uh stillborn he was close with both of his parents, but he had an especially strong bond with his mother. And the family attended the Assembly of God Church, and this is kind of where he got started singing in the uh, choir and whatnot there at church. His father ended up moving from job to job. <clears throat> it said that he wasn't a real go-getter. They often had to rely on neighbors and a government assistance and things like that for food. And then they finally ended up losing their house because his father altered a check, uh, and had to spend eight months in jail. So Elvis and his mother, they went to live with some relatives. Then in 1941, he uh, entered school. And he was just considered average. He wasn't, you know, anything uh, anything extraordinary. But he wasn't bad either. His teacher encouraged him to start singing after she heard him sing Old Shep. Which is one of the songs that he's really known for. And his first public performance came at the fair in 1945 where he sung that song again. That was kind of like his new little trademark song or something, I guess. But this was in a contest at the fair, and he ended up getting fifth place. And he ended up getting a guitar for his birthday that year. He was hoping for a rifle or a bicycle, but he ended up with a guitar. But he took some lessons from some uncles and uh, also from the family's pastor. But... Even by Elvis's own account, he said he was too shy to sing in front of people anymore. But he was at a pretty young age, too. So Then in 1946, he entered a new school, and at this time he also entered sixth grade. And 
here at this school, he was considered a loner, but he started to bring his guitar to school, and he played and uh, sang at lunch. And kids teased him and said he sang hillbilly music and things like that. But this was uh, actually the start of something big. So that guitar that he ended up getting for his birthday that year uh, kind of just got him kicked off or started off, you know. So then in 1948, they moved to Memphis, and they lived in an apartment complex. And he and some other boys that were in the uh, that lived there, they struck up a friendship, and then they started playing music around the complex. They just kind of, I guess, sit out in the courtyard and play music and sing and stuff. But he was still shy, and he wouldn't sing very openly. But then by his junior year, he started to stand out among his classmates. And <clears throat> this is also actually when he started growing out his sideburns, which he's kind of known for. And he also started putting rose oil and Vaseline in his hair. And this is where the look kind of finally starts to come in. But he finally entered a singing contest and it propelled him forward in popularity with his classmates. He didn't know how to read. There's one of the firefighting planes flying over. He didn't know how to read music, so he would study it and play it by ear. But uh, he had good taste in music. Some of his... Uh, favorite singers and whatnot that he liked to listen to. Hang on. The plane's flying over again. There we go. Some of his favorites uh, he liked to sing, uh, listen to were uh, guys like Roy Acuff, Hank Snow, Ernest Tubb. A lot of the other guys in that genre during that time frame were uh, the ones that he liked listening to. But he ended up graduating high school in 1953 and he decided that music was going to be his career. So, in 1953, he went to Sun Records to buy some studio time. And I guess this is a deal. You could go to a recording studio, and you could just pay him for some time, and then you could go in there and do your thing, and they would record it for you uh, for a price, and it, the recordings would evidently turn out to be pretty good. But he wanted to record a couple songs for his mother, and there was speculation, though, that he also went there just to get noticed because they were... Uh, there were cheaper studios to record at. Sun Records was kind of a big name in those days. And there were cheaper uh, places that he could have gone to record. But they think that part of it was so that he maybe get noticed by some uh, big name producer or something like that. And it actually worked because he did get noticed by the boss of Sun who ended up telling the secretary to mark down his name so they would remember it. And so she... Uh, she marked it down, and then the next year he made another record at Sun, but then nothing really came of that either. And then he tried out for a vocal quartet and ended up getting rejected, and he said to his father, he, they told me I couldn't sing, which the guy's eating their words now. But it seems like people his whole life were saying this. The amount of rejection that he went through uh, on his way up is kind of astonishing. But this time he got a job as a truck driver, he tried out for another singing job and got rejected. And this time, the guy that he tried out for or tried out with, he told him to stick to truck driving because you'll never make it as a singer. And I bet he'd like to see that guy a few years later. So this isn't racist. This is what was actually said by uh, Sam Phillips, who was in charge of Sun Records. He was always on the lookout for someone who sounded like a black musician. And I've heard this in multiple different times that they were looking for that there was kind of that, I don't know, that voice or that way that the black musician sounded, I guess. He would say, if I could find a white man who had the Negro sound and the Negro feel, I could make a billion dollars. 
and Presley happened to come by the studio, and Phillips had him sing a ballad called Without You. Um, Presley, he didn't do it justice, but Phillips saw something and had him sing as many numbers as he knew. And then he invited a couple of uh, local musicians to come and do some recordings with Presley, so he was kind of seeing what he was looking for. The recording, it wasn't going too well, though. Um, and finally, Elvis, he picked up his guitar and started playing a song called That's Alright. And the other two eventually joined in, and Phillips knew it was the sound he had been looking for. So this just kind of like off-the-cuff stuff is what they were looking for. So the, the song, it ended up getting played on the radio, and people were immediately calling in to find out who the singer was, and what, and they were actually asking what color he was. And this song was the kickstart that he ended up needing. And it was made into a single with That's Alright on the front and Blue Moon of Kentucky on the back, which is another great song. So the three of these guys, they had their first public appearance on July 17th. Then later that month, they got a gig playing at Overton Park Shell, and uh, Slim Whitman was headlining that show. They were opening for him. And Elvis, he had a strong response to the rhythm and was super nervous, causing his legs to shake. And the pants he was wearing emphasized the movements, and women in the crowd began to scream and go crazy over it. So it actually wasn't Forrest Gump who taught him those moves, evidently. But during instrumentals, he would uh, back up from the mic, and he'd shake, and the crowd would just end up going crazy. But after this, the other two guys, they left their other band, and so they became a trio. These, Like I would said, these other two guys were already in a band, so these three got together and became a trio. And they played together from August to October of that year. And they'd often play at a place called the Eagle's Nest, which I think, wasn't that the name of the, or no, it was the Boar's Nest that was on a... The Dukes of Hazard, and they'd make some more more recordings at Sun, and also this year Elvis had his one and only performance at the Grand Ole Opry, and his performance it wasn't a bad performance, but they said it didn't fit the style of the show. And if you've seen the Grand Ole Opry, I you could probably imagine that his what he was doing probably wasn't uh, real well received there. So in November of 1954, they went to Louisiana Hayride, which was a rival of the Grand Ole Opry. And these guys uh, ended up contracting them for a year's worth of Saturday evening performances. And Elvis, he got enough money to get rid of his old guitar and get a new one, which he ended up paying $175 for. And then they also expanded their performances into Texas and Arkansas. But by 1955... uh, Elvis, he was becoming a regional star, and he was introduced to a guy by the name of Colonel Parker, and uh, he was he was said to be the best promoter in the bu- music business at the time, and he was working with country stars like Eddie Arnold and Hank Snow and some of those uh, names. So Parker, he booked Elvis on Hank Snow's February tour, and uh, while they were doing this, the trio continued touring and drawing crowds, so they were getting noticed by other labels. And three major labels actually offered up to $25,000 for him. And eventually, though, Elvis and Phillips struck a deal with RCA Victor for $40,000, which was an unheard of uh, label price at the time. And um, Elvis, he was actually only 20 years old at the time. So uh, due to the fact that he was still technically a minor, I guess his father ended up having to sign the contract for him. Then in January of 1956, Presley made his first recordings for RCA in Nashville. And at this time, there were more people playing with him, including uh, Floyd Kramer 
and Chet Atkins, they would just kind of drop in and they'd all kind of just start jamming together, I guess. And at this session, uh, one of these that he was doing with those guys, that's what uh, created the Heartbreak Hotel song. And it was also during this time, he got a t- he ended up getting on TV and he was booked for six shows on CBS's stage show over the next two months. Then on April 3rd, he made his first of two appearances on the Milton Burrow show. And a few days later, they were flying to Nashville for a recording session and the engine on the plane almost died, causing them to crash. So uh, plane crashes seemed to be a thing back in those days. You know, the Patsy Klein and uh, the La Bamba guy, uh, Buddy Holly, a bunch of people died in plane crashes back in those days. But 12 weeks after its release, Heartbreak Coquille became its uh, first number one pop hit. And at this time, Elvis was really starting to take off. He began doing shows in Las Vegas. But the shows that he was doing there, they weren't really received well with that crowd. Um, so uh, I guess you just got to be in the right place or, you know, people have their own taste in music. But this time he also signed a seven-year contract with Paramount Pictures to start his acting career. And then in May, he uh, ended up began a Midwest tour, which ended up gained the attention the attention of the FBI, if you can believe that. Jed Hoover put out a message saying that Presley was a danger to the security of the United States. His actions and motions were such to rouse the sexual passions of teenaged youth. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. So after his show in Wisconsin, a thousand teenagers tried to get Presley in two high school, or tried to get to Presley. And uh, two high school girls ended up coming away with his autograph on their thigh and their abdomen. So, I don't know, maybe old Edgar Hoover was onto something. But during his second time on the Milton Burrow show on June 5th, Milton and Elvis, uh, Milton talked Elvis into leaving his guitar backstage. So he went out there and he was singing and gyrating all over the place, which caused a wave of controversy. And that ended up getting him a ton of hate from television critics. And even Ed Sullivan said his performance was unfit for family viewing. So without his uh, guitar out there to strum away on and stuff... All he had left to do was gyrate and swing his hips and uh, didn't work out so well for him. But after uh, Elvis had gone on Steve Allen's show and for the first time it beat Ed Sullivan's show in the ratings, Sullivan signed an agreement to have Elvis on his show. So, you know, not too long before that, he was saying that his his performances were unfit for family viewing. But then once he starts getting beat in the ratings, he changes his tune. But... uh. The first time he was on the Ed Sullivan show was on September 9th of 1956. And these, uh, well, on the Ed Sullivan show, it ended up earning Elvis about $50,000. And Ed said, though, that they had to film Elvis from the waist up. He said this was a family show and they didn't want to see all the gyrating and stuff going on. But at his concerts, it was pandemonium. At one concert, they had to use National Guard members as extra security to help quell the riots that would take place. And I don't know what the uh, <clears throat> what the actual riots were, but um, yeah, evidently it was a thing. But this time, he also started his debut into acting with a show called Love Me Tender. And the critics didn't think the movie was that great, but due to Elvis' popularity, it did very well in the box office. So, I mean... When somebody's as popular as he was, you could put out pretty much anything and it did do well in the box office. And I've actually watched a few of his movies and they're really not that great, I don't think, personally. 
But he wasn't top build in this movie. But due to the success of it, he would uh, he would end up being top build in all of his subsequent movies. I mean, all the guys had to do was put Elvis Presley on the title, and you know it, it was going to be a hit. But Elvis, he was also becoming a craze all over the world. Even at this time, even in the Soviet Union, he was becoming more and more popular. And then uh, in 1957, he ended up buying an 18 room mansion, which is now known as Graceland. And he bought it for, uh, back in those days, he bought it for $102,500. And nowadays, the mansion has about as much popularity as Elvis does. And in 2004, uh, his daughter sold a bulk of the estate for around $100 million. And I really don't, I mean, for all, if all of, for Graceland to sell, I, I don't even know if there's a price they would put on it. Then in 1958, uh, he was drafted into the army. And he stated that he didn't want to be treated any differently than anyone else, which I personally kind of find admirable. Look at uh, the stars we have today and imagine what would happen if one of them were to be drafted. But he attended his basic training at Fort Hood. And later that year, his mother uh, was ended up being diagnosed with hepatitis and he was granted emergency leave. And he left and he ended up seeing her. And then she died two days later at the age of 46, which... It really devastated him, and a lot of people said that he was never really the same after this. But he went on and uh, continued his military time. He got transferred overseas to Germany, and it's here that he got in, introduced to, uh, well, this is where he starts going downhill. He got introduced to amphetamines. He constantly talked about the benefits of their use. He had also gotten other guys in his unit to start using them. And while he was stationed in uh Friedland over there in Germany he ended up meeting 14 year old Priscilla Bolu which ended up becoming his wife they began dating and ended up getting married after about 7 years which still I think he must have been around 23 I think when they first started dating but he ended up getting an honorable discharge in 1960 and then he was back at the music the train that he was traveling on getting home was continually being mobbed by fans. I think he got out, uh, when he got out of the military, I think he was like in New Jersey or something like that. And then he had to take a train back down to Nashville. And they said that every stop, when fans found out who was on the train, they would just be uh, mobbing the train, basically. But he fell right back into the swing of things. Uh, he immediately started producing more number ones and getting back into acting and television appearances. Uh, then his only child ended up being born in 1968, and this was during a time he was said to be unhappy with his career. Um, I can only imagine how that, I guess, people were always trying to get at him and stuff, and he, he, never, he talked about never ever actually having any privacy. But he still stayed uh, pretty mainstream, even though um, at this time they kind of shifted him more to acting versus singing. But... With the drugs and everything, this kind of started the downhill spiral for him. By 1972, he and his wife were both uh, having affairs, and they ended up divorcing in 1973. His health was also deteriorating at this time. He'd suffered two overdoses that year, which the first one ended up landing him in a coma for three days and putting him in the hospital. But even with that, the drug continued, or the drug use, it continued and even got worse. And, uh, I, you can, if you go back through and look at like the pictures of Elvis and stuff over the years, you can just see this slow decline of how he looks and everything throughout his whole life or career or whatever. 
But then in 1977, he was scheduled to fly out of Memphis, and his girlfriend at the time, she found him unconscious on the floor in the bathroom. And he was actually in the seated position, like he was sitting on the toilet and then just fell forward. So he's just kind of crumpled up on kind of like the fetal position there on the floor. And they tried to revive him, but he was pronounced dead the next day. And he was originally buried at Forest Hill Cemetery, but uh, he and his mother's bodies ended up being moved to Graceland Meditation Garden after there were attempts to steal his body. People were trying to go in and do grave robbing and whatnot and steal his body. His cause of death was listed as cardiac arrest, but it's disputed uh, on how much factor drugs led to his death. I mean, if you take enough crack or cocaine or whatever, you probably end up with uh, cardiac arrest. And like I said, this was just an uh, overview of Ellis. There's a ton more that um, you could go into on him, but uh, like I, I've always said, uh, none of the things on this uh, podcasts are going to be real in-depth episodes. Maybe it's just because I'm lazy with my uh, researching or whatever. I don't know. But if you're, uh, hope, I'm glad to be back in the saddle again. Hopefully, uh, can get back on schedule and uh, getting some stuff out there. Trying to find some new ways to do uh, some interviews. Uh, I really enjoyed the one interview that we've had, and uh, I'm hoping to do some more of those. So if you're uh, liking the podcast, go out there and give us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Don't forget to follow us on uh, the podcast from P-Town on Facebook or P-Town Podcast on Instagram or send me an email at ptownpodcast74 at gmail.com. And we'll see you guys on the next one. Thanks a lot.